Now, we're going to wrap up our series entitled Christmas Cheer. We're talking about how to have joy in all things. And so I've noticed, though, that inside of our holiday season, it's kind of hard to have joy in the most joyful time of year. And so we went through this series. We started. We're wrapping it up today. In week one, we talked about how to have joy in all things. And if you remember, I told you that we learned that the Scripture talks about how to have joy in all things is found in this. Joy is simply found in the presence and the purpose of Jesus. It's found in the presence and the purpose of Jesus. And then week two, we kind of went back and talked a little bit about, hey, for us to have joy with others. So it's not just having joy in all things, but it's also having joy in our relationships. And that means the people you're sitting next to, or maybe the people who are in coming to service like tomorrow, or they're coming to your house to stay tonight, to be here for the next couple of days. And now you got to like put your house on the best look it can, you know, and you tell your kids to be the best behaved and they, you, you, they act like kids. You've never, they don't act like all year long and your house looks like it never looks all year long. And you make food that you never make all year long. And so we talked a little bit about to have joy with others, you're going to have to be humble. We need humility in our life. And then week three, which is last week, we opened up scriptures and we got to this letter. We've really been in the the book of Philippians and it's this letter to the church in Philippi. And Paul gets mad and the people that he gets mad at are the incredibly legalistic people who find that they, they, they try to find their joy with God through all the things that they do and realize they wind up being frustrated. And so we learned that to find and have joy with God, this is what we learned last week, to have joy with God, we need to rest in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And then we need to rest in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Because if you're always struggling to be good for God, you'll never be good for God and you'll always be frustrated. And I don't want to play a game I can't win. That's weird. That's for people who lose on a regular basis. So anyway, this week, today, we are wrapping up our series in joy. And we're going to talk today about how to have joy with ourselves. So week one is joy with everything. Week two is joy with others. Week three is joy with God. Now we have to have joy with ourselves because here's what we found out that really we, you and I probably heard the statistic that some of the highest depression rates are throughout the Christmas season. Some of the highest suicide rates are throughout uh, the, the spirit of, of Christmas and, and through the season of Christmas. And so why don't we have joy with, with ourselves? And we're going to learn about what Paul has to say about that in Philippians chapter four. So if you have your notes, go ahead and pull them out. Uh, we'll have the scriptures on the screens. If not, I highly encourage you get the, the YouVersion app. I give you all my notes and you can copy and send them and you put little things in there that you want to send and you can even find out where I'm going and it's be really easy. You can look that up on you version, but Philippians chapter four and starts with verse four. We're going to be in verse four and it says rejoice. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. Again, this is a letter. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness, everybody say gentleness. Yeah, that's important. He, he's actually, what you don't know is he's referencing back to Philippians chapter two when he said to be humble with people. Gentle was another kind of a phrase. He's saying, hey, be, be gentle, be humble. You don't know everything. Stop being prideful. You're not always right. Somebody in here. That's not for you. That's for another church down the road. So be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's good. That's a good, that's a good advice, Paul. Thank you. And verse seven, he says, and the peace of God, which you and I need peace. You and I need peace. I need peace. You need peace. Look at your neighbor and tell him you need peace. Yeah, you need peace. You do, not me. But anyway, you need peace. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is important. Okay, we're getting to the meat of what we want to talk about here. He says, finally, brothers and sisters. So he's saying, listen, if you lost everything else, okay? Philippians is only four chapters. This is the fourth chapter. We're at the end of the book. If you lost everything else in chapter one, two, and three, listen to this. He says, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, this is our important word for today. Think, everybody say think. think. 
Come on, like you mean it, you got Red Bull in you, say think. 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 Okay, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received from me or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and God and the God of peace will be with you. If you're writing notes, you're making notes, or you're taking notes, you should take notes. But if you're writing notes, uh, the title of my sermon today is simply Paul's Thoughts on How to Think. Paul's Thoughts on How to Think. So let's pray. Father, we just love you, God. Thank you that you're here, God. Thank you that you sent Jesus uh, your son, 2,000 years ago, God, we celebrate him and the birth of Jesus in this season. We just ask you now, God, Holy Spirit, take the words that I have, transform them to the hearts of the people. May we walk out of here different than the way we walked in, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hey, how many of y'all like food in here? Raise your hand. Y'all like food? Come on. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a foodie, and so what that means is, is I'm really like uppity about the food that I eat. And so like I, I don't eat everything and, and, um, because, because I've realized that you know when I eat something and if it's not very good and it goes into my body, I tend to not feel very good. And so I want to eat good food. I want to eat you know, good quality food. I like an experience. And, uh, and what I, I, I try to find myself doing is I want to have like artisan things. You guys know what an artisan thing? Like, like I like the bread that you have to bake, and it's kind of got that flour on it. You know, it's got that old, I call it old world. You know, it's like that old world feel. It's, it's weird anyway. And so, um, but I like, I'm a foodie and, and um, I like to go to different restaurants, but several years back, um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't grow up eating lobster all the time. I had never tried lobster. And I thought, you know what, if I'm going to try lobster, I don't want to go to a, a restaurant that maybe might not know how to make it, you know, because I probably couldn't afford to go to the one that you know they know how to make it. And so I'm going to make myself, I thought to myself, I said, since I'm a foodie, I'm going to make myself some lobster. And so I went down to the store, and this is in California, and in California they have these kind of seafood stores. I haven't seen them out here, but I'm sure they are. But there's like these seafood stores where you can go in, you can pick a live lobster, right? You can see it, take it, and then you're like, okay, that's my lobster. I'm going to take it home and eat. So I go down to the store, and I'm like, I'm going to go make myself a lobster. So I found this lobster. It was swimming around. I said, that's the one I want. They put them, pick, packaged them up, put them in a paper bag, and I brought them home. And so I called a chef friend of mine, and I said, hey, he was, he's really a chef. And I said, hey, I want to know how to, how to make this lobster. And he goes, okay, well, here's the ingredients, and here's the directions. And, and he goes, you know, you're going to have to boil that lobster. And I said, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what we got. I mean, I've seen Food Network. I get it. I bam. I'm that guy. I'm bam. I get it. And so he's like, okay, all right. Well, you know, if you need any help, just call me. I said, listen, I'm a man. All right. I know what I'm doing. All right, guys, y'all know what I'm saying? Like, we know what we're doing. I can Google. And so anyway, so I'm like, all right. So I get out home. I put the, the lobster in the paper bag and and, uh, and, I, and, and I'm putting it in the pot, and you have to get a pot, and you put the boiling water, and throw a little salt in there, and, and it's boiling, and I'm ready to go, and I'm putting all the fixings together. So I take the lobster out of the bag, and then I look at the lobster. Here's my first mistake, okay? I looked at the lobster in his eyes, all right? And me and the lobster had a moment when I took him out of the bag. That was my first mistake. Second mistake, I started to get attached to this lobster, right? So I'm looking at this lobster, and I was like, you know, this lobster's kind of cool looking. You know, he's moving around. He's got his little tentacles things. And I, 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 my, my second mistake was I named him. And so I named him Larry. He's Larry the Lobster. And so I said, Larry, you're about to be lunch, baby. Woo, all right, you're going to eat. I'm going to eat you. You're going to eat my belly. It's going to be good. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm naming him. I'm talking to Larry as I'm putting together the sides. You know, he's on the, the counter, and he can't really move very much. The thing gets to boiling water, and I'm looking at him, and I'm talking to Larry. That's my third mistake. My third mistake was I'm starting to relate to this lobster I'm about to eat. And so I pick him up. He's ready to go. Take the pot off the top. I put him right above the thing, and I'm like, looking at him and we caught eyes again. And I promise you, he looked at me. Have you, have you ever seen an animal look at you with eyes that are communicating? And he communicated to me as I was about to place him in the pot 
no, please don't do this. That's what I, I felt like he, he said to me with his eyes. And so I'm looking at him like, man, I, 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 so I put him down. I was like, I, I don't know if I, could, if I can do this. This is kind of this is kind of murder. This is kind of, this is what, I'm killing something right now. I can't, that's not me. I don't, I don't kill things. I don't go hunting, y'all. I'm not a hunter. I, you want to know why I hunt? I hunt for deals at the store. That's what I hunt for. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay. And I'm like, no, I got to man up for this because I can't tell my chef friend that I didn't know how to make lobster. So I'm like, all right, I'm not stopping here. So I grab it and I go, Larry, I'm sorry. So I did what every one of you would do. I, I just, I threw them in there and I close it. You know, I just, you throw them in there and you just close it. Just come. And then the sound. Y'all, you know what I'm talking about? Like the sound, and, and it's the sound started happening, which was the, the, it sounded like he was screaming. It was the, ah, like you can hear it. Like there is an actual hearing sound. So I Googled the sound. I'm like, is this lobster screaming? And it's not, it's just air escaping the body. I found out later, but, it, but I felt like I had, so I'm killing this lobster. I'm thinking in my mind for eight minutes, like I just killed this animal, like I killed this animal, I killed this lobster, Larry, my boy, we were having a moment, it was awesome, and I'm like, I can't believe I did this, eight minutes happens, ring, ding, I take him out, and I place him on the thing, and he's red, dead, you know, he's dead, they, you, he, you, he, he didn't make it, and so he's dead, and I'm sitting him there, and I'm just looking, and for like, I'm not kidding y'all, for like 20 minutes, I kind of sat there and looked at him, and I kept thinking to myself, I'm the worst person ever. I just killed this animal. So my wife comes in and she goes, is that lobster done yet? Let's go. And I was like, okay. So I go back and what they say, I don't know if y'all know this about, I'm teaching y'all like this is HGTV cooking lessons right now. All right. But I don't know if y'all know, but you're supposed to like rip the body, the, the tail supposed to rip. You're not supposed to cut it, right? You're supposed to rip it. So I'm like, ripping apart Larry the lobster. I, I rip it. Ri Y'all, are, are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm, I'm tearing now apart this body, and then stuff comes out of it. And I just, it was so, it was the worst experience I ever had. And matter of fact, I fixed it all up, put it on a plate. I sat down to eat it, and I couldn't even do it because all I could think about was Larry the lobster <laughs> and how I killed my best buddy. It was sad. Now, why do I tell you that crazy story? I don't, I don't even know. Well, let me look at it real quick. Oh, yeah, okay. But, like, the point is, is that, like, have you ever just noticed how powerful your mind and your thoughts are? Like, I've noticed that it went from my, my experience was so changed by the thought that I was just thinking about constantly that this, this, this lobster was real and alive and he could see me and he saw me and that was the last thing he saw after I put him in the, you know, the bucket of death. He was it and it was over for him. And I just couldn't get over the fact that, that, that I had killed this lobster and he was my buddy and I, it kind of totally ruined the experience that I had. And why? Why? Because you and I know this in all of our lives. Our minds are incredibly powerful. And our minds, they control more of our physical body than we think. They control more of our external circumstances than we think. And you and I think that, well, just sometimes, oh, it's just a thing I'm thinking about. Actually, no, no. Your body actually responds to the things that are happening in your mind. Um, I wanted to read a couple of just kind of interesting uh, just statistics about your, your brain. At any one moment, your brain is creatively performing, creatively performing. You might not think you're creative, but you are. Your brain is creatively uh, performing. 400 billion actions to which you're only actually conscious to about 2,000 of them. 
Like your, your brain and your mind is incredibly powerful. That each of these actions have a chemical and electrochemical reactions called emotions. So your emotions actually affect your, your health. And you know this because if you've ever been really sad, you've noticed how sometimes you're, you just don't feel good physically. Does anybody ever get like that? You ever notice how like they always talk about this in places where they don't have a lot of sun, where there's a lot of clouds and you don't see a lot of sun and you're just like, man, this is just terrible. Well, why? Because you're, you're always thinking down and your mood's always down and you know, your sun and you're not creating chemicals. Your body responds to your mind. So there's two types of chemicals your mind kind of uh, creates. One is positive chemicals. They're endorphins. So they give you things like, you know, contentment and peace and love and acceptance. And so when you feel, think positively, your, your body and your mind releases these chemicals, positive chemicals in your mind. But if you think negatively, if you think like in, 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 in bad ways, if you're sad, if you're depressed, if you're angry, if you're mad, and you start thinking negative thoughts, your body actually produces a chemical called CRH, and it's actually something you can study in your scriptures. I find it so funny right now that the scientific community is actually catching up now. They're now catching up. Technology is now showing and proving the scriptures because it's actually showing that when you think like negatively, which the Bible always said, if the way you think is the way that you are, that when you think negatively, it releases chemicals that actually affects your body physically. And now we'll be able to take scans of our brains and seeing how, man, just having negative thoughts can actually really hurt us. In fact, there's 10 times, amount, you might not know this, but scientists and, and um, the, the officials can actually see in a suicide victim, they can take, they can see that there's 10 times the amount of CRH in a normal human being than he has in his head. Why? Because the, the, this, this stuff absolutely matters to you. And so you need to know this. So what does all this mean? This means that how you think, how you feel, are interly connected. They walk hand in hand. So if you think negatively, you're not going to feel positive all the time. And and the, the opposite is true. So we have to know and we have to think that how our minds go is what actually controls our thoughts, how our thoughts will actually control our emotions, and how our emotions are will actually control our health. Our brains and our thinking are extremely powerful. Again, Proverbs 23 says, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. So what do we do? So if that's true, because that's science for the most part, like that's scientific, like that's stuff that science actually says. So if that were to be true for us and for you, for all of us, for the world, what should we do? See, I find it interesting that the world, you know, some of their method of fixing that is to, um, you never talked about like get and meditate and get alone and then just empty your thoughts. That's kind of like the Eastern way of thinking like, hey, I want to go. And I want to go meditate. I want to get to a place. I want to get to a position. I want to get to a silence and get into an area. And I want to empty my thoughts and find this true reason inside of me. I want to try to find because whatever is going to help me is going to be inside of me. And we know that not to be true because whatever's inside of you is crazy. You know that. In fact, if you had a kid, you know that really well. You know that. It don't take a whole lot for you to know that you and I were born into sin. Just look at your children. I mean, simple as that, right? And so what Paul doesn't say is he doesn't say, go get separate and go get away and go get away and get your and remove all these thoughts. Paul doesn't say go and hey, here's what you want to do. If you want to deal with bad thoughts, just take them out of your head. Just stop thinking that way. He doesn't say that. That's like more of an Eastern way of thinking. God's way of thinking, biblical way of thinking to deal with negative thoughts is not to remove, it's to replace. It's to say, instead of thinking negatively, you actually can't remove your thoughts. You need to replace them with positive thoughts. And then Paul goes on to say, let me help you with what to think about. So I'm just going to take a few of the things that Paul talked about, what to think on, because 
and, and tell you and give us really some idea, maybe some context of what he's saying so that we can have joy with ourselves, so that we can be and truly have joy inside of our lives. So a few thoughts, a uh, few of Paul's thoughts on what to think on. Number one, he says this. He says to think on what is true. Everybody say true. The Greek word there is alathos. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting way uh, to kind of say it, but, but to see it. But the, the definition there in the Greek is actually loving the truth or speaking the truth. This is truth thinking, not lie thinking. This is truth thinking, not lie thinking. And you can go, Pastor, well, of course. Like, I've got to believe, like, the truth. I'm not following lies. Are you sure? Like, are you sure? Be careful. Because we all say, like, we're going to follow the truth. I'm following the truth, and I know what the truth is, and I'm, I'm, my truth truth is what, what I think the truth is, what I, I want it to be. Are you sure? Because you know what I find interesting, too? Funny how people make the enemy or, or Satan or the devil, or whatever you want to, because you and I need to know. You need to know you have an enemy. If you're a Christian in here, you have an enemy. You are opposed that there's someone who does not want you to do good, does not want you to win, does not want you to make it, does not want you to have an enjoyable time in the world. He wants you to suffer and then die. And he would rather you follow lie thinking than he would ever have you follow truth thinking. In fact, the Bible talks about Satan as he's the father of lies, that he actually produces the lies that you and I follow. And what I find interesting is that a lot of people will think that the enemy is going to bust in your door, he's going to kick it down, and he runs around with a uh, like with a pitchfork and red horns and says, this is a lie. This is a lie. Believe this. This is a lie. This is a, believe this. That's not the way the enemy works. He's been alive for a long period of time. He's studied human nature. He knows you very, very well. And oftentimes the way the enemy works is he doesn't speak to you in a lie that actually sounds like a lie. He speaks to you lies that sound like truth. And it's been the same way since he's been in the beginning. If you go back in Genesis chapter 3, there's a place called the Garden of Eden, and Adam and Eve is there, and, and God just says, listen, let, let, you can have this whole garden. You just can't have my tree. Don't, don't touch the tree in the middle. This is one tree. I just need you to understand. You can have everything. You got everything. You lack for nothing. Just don't, just don't mess with this tree. There's a tree in here. It's my tree. You don't touch my tree. You stay away from this tree. This tree don't, do, don't do the tree. So, of course, they, they, human nature, they touch the tree, right? So you have a kid, you know. So you said, don't touch that plug. They touch the plug, okay? And so they go to that tree. And then here, here's what happens before. But the reason that they touch the tree, if you go back and read in the scriptures, Satan doesn't go, go touch that tree. Go eat that apple. It's amazing. That tree's awesome. Don't listen to God. He's dumb. He doesn't say that. What he does is he goes up to Eve and he goes, hey, hey, come here. Come here real quick. Just talk to you real quick. Are you sure? Are you sure he said that? Are you sure? Really? Did he? Did? It's these little seeds of lies that cause you to question the truth that you know to be true. And sometimes the enemy, you would think that the enemy would have, he don't have any new arrows to shoot, just so you all know. Like he has only a few weapons and he uses them in different ways. And he's been doing that since the beginning of time. And he does that with you and with me. And he does that in all parts of our life. He uses that stinking phrase. Did God really say that? You know, when you wake up, have you ever noticed when you're fighting with your wife and you really, really want to give her the business? And you know, and some in your heart, you know, to be true is like, God, 
told me that I need to love and honor and sacrifice and cherish my wife. I know this to be true. And then the enemy goes in, but did he really say that? I don't mean, I mean, honestly, like you could probably just tell her anything you want to say right now and then just, you know, ask for forgiveness later. Right, right, like, right, right. The enemy loves to work like that. And then all of a sudden, what you didn't know, you didn't know this, but all of a sudden, after a while, you start to listen and to hear lies as truth. Because you know this, the longer you tell a lie, the more you think it's true. The longer you listen to a lie, the more you think it's true. That's why you got to be careful with what you listen to, what you allow in your life. That's why you be careful what your eyes get to see, what you get to listen to on a regular basis, what you get to believe sometimes. Be careful with what you say. Be careful on how you talk about people. Be careful with the people you hang around with. It's not okay to just hang around with everyone else in the world. It's not okay all the time. Like you just say, well, oh, it's no big deal. Like I'm just going to go be a missionary for God with every person who doesn't know you. Oh, I'm so happy you did that, which you're probably not as honorable in your motives as you think you are. Be careful. Paul says you got to think on these true things. you got to not trust what you feel. you got to trust what you, you know. So he says think on things that are true. Number two is this. He says think on things that are, that are noble. Everybody say noble. I think our things are noble. This is semnos. This is to be regarded with great character. This is high character thinking. So it's not enough for you just to be a truth thinker. I'm going to think on truth. I want to think on things that are full of character. And character is simply this. I'm going to give you a definition of character. And one day I'm going to teach a sermon series, a whole series. We're going to talk a whole series on, on thoughts and how to think because it's this powerful. And, and, we, and God has a lot to say about it. But character is simply this. It's the will to do what's right no matter the circumstance. Character is the will to do what's right. It's no matter what is happening, what's going to happen, who sees it, who doesn't see it. God, I'm going to do what's right no matter the cost. I'm going to think, I'm going to think about doing the things that are right no matter the cost. There's a, uh, y'all know the Great Wall of China inside. Uh, it's one of, you know, one of the, probably the most incredible land man-made structures that have ever been created in all of time. I want to read you just some statistics about it. So it's 25 feet tall. Think about this. Actually think about this. It's a 25 foot tall, 30 foot wide at its base. That's how big this, 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 this wall is. It's the only man-made object you can actually see from the moon. This thing's incredible. It moves across China over deserts, grasslands, mountains, and plateaus of about 4,000 miles long. This thing is impenetrable. It's hard to go through that now with our modern technology. Imagine back then what it was built to des and designed for when it became uh, a thing to actually protect and to be a military defense. It's the most powerful, powerful military defense for centuries. It's never been overcome by any military force. It was never overcome. It was invaded, yet it was invaded three times and gotten through three times. And you would think to yourself, like, well, why? Why would it? I mean, if this thing is that powerful, if this thing is that massive, and back in that era, if it was that, uh, if it was that effective, how did the China get invaded three times. It got invaded three times because the guards were bribed all three times to get through by the enemy. And you would think, wow, oh man, like there's nothing's going to stop, nothing's going to, nothing's going to get through that mountain, that wall, nothing's going to affect that area, nothing's going to get to what is most precious, and yet the one thing that allowed it to get affected was people with low moral character. And so inside of your life, you have to think, God, I am extremely valuable based on your word. And I can put up a whole lot of defenses. And I can put up a whole lot of things in my life. 
And I can speak a whole lot of scripture over my life. But if I can get to a whole lot of areas, I can do a whole lot of things for you. But if I don't have the character and the integrity, if I don't think character first, if I don't think integrity first, it's only going to take one bribe. It's only going to take one thing where what is it in your life? So that makes us think, what is it in your life that the enemy can bribe you with? What is it in your life that the enemy can buy you off, can buy your character out so that he can get through and penetrate your defenses? What is that one thing? What's that one area of your life that you're susceptible to? What's that one area of your life you feel, where you feel, you know, I've, I've noticed, you know, we're, we're, we're a young church and we have a lot of young people in our, in our church and a lot of very talented people. I'm so proud of our worship team. Y'all don't know how hard it is to come up here and sing on a regular basis and all technology. There's like multiple things that tend to go wrong every weekend and they still lead us in work. Come on, give it up for our worship team. I mean, they're incredible. Um, and so we have so many talented people that walk into our doors at our church. And, and you know, when you're talented, you're in trouble. And the world will tell you opposite. Like, no, well, if you're talented, you got it all made. Actually, that's not true. Because oftentimes you'll see that the people that are most talented, they tend to get somewhere, but they never, ever keep what they get. And so God is saying, look, if you want to get, if you got, if I gave you something, if I gave you an anointing, I gave you a talent, I gave you something of worth that you were used, you're supposed to use for my glory to further my cause. So God, if I gave you something, you need to have something to protect it. The thing that's going to protect what God gave you through your talent is character and integrity every single time. Someone, uh, there's a young guy who was talking to me and I, you know, I kind of mentor a lot of guys and just talented, really talented. God's been so generous with us. He's given us so many talented people. And I always say like, man, your talent is a small piece of your purpose. Here's why. The worst thing is you not getting the desires of your heart. The worst thing is you getting the desires of your heart, all the things that your talents and your hands got you, and then losing it in a moment because you lacked integrity. And you and I all know this. You see this a lot inside pop culture where there's some extremely talented people. They get to the pinnacle of their world. And you would think they got it all. And all of a sudden, they do something crazy. And you're like, what in the world? Britney Spears shaved her head. What in God's name? Seriously. Like, you're like, what, what was it? They lacked character and integrity to hold the thing that God handed them. And so Paul is saying, listen, if you want to have joy with yourself, you better think with integrity. You better think noble thoughts. Number three is this, pure thoughts. Everybody say pure. This is hagnos. This is vulnerable, exciting reverence or sacred. This is childlike thinking. Now, I know like sometimes you guys hear like you're a child. You think that in a negative context. Did you know that the Lord actually thought of childlike thinking and living was actually a positive, was a bonus? He said that it's amazing. As a matter of fact, I'll prove it to you. In Matthew chapter 18, he says this. He says, this is Jesus walking around with his disciples, and his disciples asked him this question. It's funny. This is the disciples. Verse 1, he says, at the time, disciples came to Jesus. So the disciples are, you know, the, those closest to Jesus, and they come to him saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So, like, you know, they're asking, like, these hard-hitting questions to Jesus, which you and I would do. And, they, and you would think, like, Jesus would go, well, like, I'm going to start talking about prophets, like Moses, and, you know, Isaiah, like, I'm going to just give you the who's of who in the hall of faith. Let me tell you who the greatest of heaven is. And Jesus says this, he says, verse 2, and he says, And calling to him a what? Child. Calling him a child, put him in the midst of them and said this, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like what? Like, like yeah, like children. 
He says, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. He said, he said listen, some of the greatest ways to live are like children. Now, you and I might not think like that. You might think, well, no, I gotta, I'm an adult. I'm a man. I'm an adult. Like, I'm a woman. I'm running things. Like, I'm, a, I'm an adult. Like, okay, we get it. You're an adult. You ever talk to anybody like that? They have to, like, tell. Yeah, if somebody ever have to tell you who they are, they aren't that. Like, somebody walked in, like, I'm the leader. I'm like, who are you trying to convince? I don't walk around here telling people I'm the pastor. Like, oh, I'm the pastor. Hey, I'm the pa-. if I had to do that, I, I'm not really the pastor. And so Jesus is saying, be, be like a children. Here's why. I'll give you an example. I was with my son the other day, and uh, I had a little coin. And you, if you're a parent in here, you probably did this with your kid. But, like, you know, I had this coin, and I said, let me show you a magic trick. So Judah comes over. I have a little four-year-old. Judah comes over. He goes, okay. And he stands like this. And I, like, grabbed the coin, and I, I went, you know, I went, like threw it or something, you know, and I, I, it's gone. And he goes, oh, where'd it go? And I go, I go, let's find it. Let's find it. You know, so I kind of like made, I made him look over here and I pulled it out of my pocket, you know, and then I kind of put it and I went to his ear. Y'all know what I'm talking Like you pulled, so I pulled it out of his ear and I, I go like this. I go, oh, it was in your ear. He goes, oh, how did you do that? And he ran, listen, listen, listen. He ran off with the coin to his brothers and said, Dad's incredible. He can do anything. Running around. He's literally right. Riley Kelly, Dad, he pulled the coin out of my ear. Now, listen. Some of us, you have grown up too much with God. You, 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 you. You're too grown. You, you think you got it all figured out. You forgot you were a child of God. And God's trying to tell you, like, like you see like the mountains in your way right now. And God's saying, listen, I'm going to show you a magic trick. I can make that mountain disappear. And wait, 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 here's what's cool. So, so then... So then you know what we do? We go, no, God, let me show you the scientific way that that can't happen. No, no. I know that's not really you pulling a coin out of my ear. I know you're just tricking me. No, God, you're not big. I'm grown. I'm an adult. Hold on. Jesus said, what happened to just thinking like a child? This exciting reverence of like, oh, my gosh, you can do anything. You're incredible. That mountain is nothing to you. You can do, you are not a magician. You are God. And you can do anything. What happened to believing God for your money? You in here right now, there's you, some people in here right now or on this podcast listening, you're thinking there is nothing going to, I'm always going to be poor. Stop thinking like that. God can do anything. Man, I'm never going to be healed from my sickness. Stop thinking like that. God can do anything. My marriage is never going to be better. Stop thinking like that. God can do, come on, say it with me, anything. Come on, he can do it. 
I'm going to end with this. This last one is, is he says to think admirable. And I didn't call all of them. I just wanted to highlight a few. This one is euphemos. It's, it's auspicious or being conducive to success. This is leadership type thinking. Paul found incredible joy in being a leader in the church. And you and I, a lot of us want to be leaders. I want to read you a great story. It's a simple thought from Alexander the Great. It says this, Alexander the Great was one of the greatest military leaders of all time. One day, a young soldier fell asleep at his post, and he was brought before Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great asked this young boy, what's your name? He said, what's your name, son? The boy responded, my name too is Alexander. And Alexander the Great laughed a little bit, and he responded, he said, son, you either change your name or you change your actions. How often do we want to be leaders, but we don't act like them? You don't think like them. You don't walk like them. You don't talk like them. You let things of life, come on, you let the things of life get to you. And before you know it, you start thinking like a follower instead of a leader. As a follower of Jesus Christ, so we follow Jesus first so that we can lead people to him. And if you're going through something right now, you have a responsibility especially if you're going through a hardship, to show people what it's like. Listen, to show people what it's like, not to tell people, to show people what it's like to be a leader in the kingdom of God. Which means this, you're not a victim. You are a victor. And and listen, nothing happens to you. Everything happens through you and for you in the kingdom. And so stop acting like your pain is your death sentence. Your pain and your suffering is not, it has a purpose and it has a process and God's going to use it. And the only way he will do that is if we think like a leader because someone's following you if you're a leader. Simple definition of a leader. How you want to know you're a leader? You got people following you. Stop telling people you're a leader. Start acting like a leader. People will follow you and hopefully follow you to Christ. But you got to start with your thoughts. Paul ends Philippians. Paul ends with Philippians Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, and he says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me and seen in me, put into practice. I pray that this series would help you find joy, that you would put this stuff into practice. This Christmas, tomorrow, tomorrow, everybody say tomorrow. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve. Here's your opportunity to be a leader. Here's your opportunity to be a leader. You cannot abstain from inviting people to church or inviting people to Christ because you, my personality, sorry, you're a new creation in Christ. You're a leader. I did that before and I failed. Sorry, you're a new creation in Christ. You're a leader. Try again. You and I need to go out of our way to invite our neighbors, tell them, I'll bring you, I'll come with you. Look, I'll take you to dinner after. We'll go. So, what is it going to take to get you to church? And statistics actually show that most people, if you invite them on Christmas or, or Easter, they will come. Did you know that? Like 90% of the people will come if you ask them to come on Christmas and Easter. You, you already, statistics are in your favor. Be a leader. Invite someone to church tomorrow. Not because we want numbers. I don't, we, we don't need numbers. That's not what this is about. What this is about is people meeting and reaching and seeing the Jesus that you met, reached, and saw. And we want that for you. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you today. God, I thank you that you are a good God, that you, you, you see the greatest things in us and you equip us through your word to help us to get there. I pray that our thoughts would be Christ-like, that our thoughts would be for you in every aspect.